Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All Things in the Name of Love, Episode 35, The Science of Understanding Life Blended with the Art of Trust, with Alan Lazarus. Today, I am speaking with Alan Lazarus, who is an amazing soul-connected being that I met a couple weeks ago. And we're just going to go talk about whatever inspires us today, because that's what we do. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. Oh, me too. So I'm going to start out with, because we started talking before I started recording, and so I'm going to start out with, because we started talking before I started recording, and you mentioned that you were an engineer, and I am an historian, and we're both recovering from that. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so talk to me about that that dynamic between that that part of your brain that's just like, but I need the explanation to getting into your heart space and saying, I don't need the explanation. So that is one of the biggest challenges, I think, in the human condition. You have art and you have science. And so you have the prefrontal cortex part of the brain that is rational and logical and wants to make sense of everything, straight lines, right angles, all of that. And then you've got your heart, which has a level of intuition to it that is beyond our conscious comprehension. So I think it's, I often say this, it's the dance between two extremes where we all must live. And mm -hmm. to me, the science of life is understanding the formula of whatever it is you're trying to do. So let's say you want to achieve something. You have to reverse engineer the actionable steps to get there, but not just the actionable steps, but okay. So for me, the formula of the human condition is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. So the spiritual is having faith in what you cannot see yet, mm -hmm. regardless of the fact that you don't understand it yet, too, in some cases. Then you've got the emotional, which is how deeply connected are you to your intuition and your belief system and your emotion, emotions move mountains. So like you're more likely to make a decision when you're emotional about something. Okay. Then you've got... But it's also scary, so it takes courage because you don't want to get hurt. Okay, then you've got the M part. That's the mental part. This is the strategy piece. The strategy piece is what do I actually do? In other words, what are the tiny leverage points that open the huge doors to get me closer to my goal? And then you have the physical, which is actually taking the action. A lot of people know what to do, but don't actually do it. So to me, the art of manifesting is basically believing in that which you cannot see yet, which is the S, emotionalizing it enough to take action strategizing before you take action and not just going on impulse, but actually trying to think about it and make sure that you're doing something that's going to actually be effective and then taking the action. And then now you have to reflect on that result and then redo the process. So that to me is quite the science because it's a formula. Now, when it comes to the art side, it's okay. I want to follow my intuition about this person, place, thing, or idea because even though I don't know why it works yet, the only way I'm ever going to know why it works or that it works is if I trust. And this is that sort of Steve Jobs quote on the commencement 2005 at Stanford, one of my favorite speeches ever of all time, where he says, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. But you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect because that will give you the courage 
to follow that intuition. Whether it's your gut, life, karma, whatever, you have to trust those dots will connect. And if you're out there listening right now, like me, you've probably had many moments where you had these overwhelming moments of gratitude where something you once dreamed of became real. And then you looked back, connected the dots and all the 10,000 little tiny courageous moments that led to that. And you just went, thank you for not giving up. Like you thanked yourself for like, yes, I trusted and I followed my intuition and it led me here. And I'm so grateful for that. And then I'm sure we've all had the other experience of regret. And to me, regret is when we didn't trust our intuition. We went against it and, and made a decision from our ego. And then we realized that in hindsight, once we got very, very hurt or, or maybe we were living outside of integrity with ourselves. So it's this constant dance between logic and rationality and physical action versus like faith, intuition, and heart, I believe. That is really beautiful. I have had the experience of being fully heart-led and being fully head-led. Mm. And I'll even include my, my gut brain here because gut brain is usually even better than the heart brain. <laughs> um, when I sense something, because my, my uh, clairsentient ability is really, really strong. When I sense something and I ignore it, I am in so much trouble. Because my inner knowing is so strong that if I'm silly enough or scared enough to ignore it, it's just going to be a world of emotional and psychological stress that I did not need to put myself through. Right. And conversely, when I have something that my gut's saying and I do listen despite the fear it explodes into something I can't begin to fully comprehend. And that's the beauty. That's the faith piece of, of trusting your heart, mm -hmm. trusting your gut. Yeah, that's, that's something I'm still trying to develop. And I think women's intuition is a thing. And I'm learning that, I, and this is a generalization, so I don't want anyone to get offended, but I do think that men tend to act more from the ego, generally speaking. And that's something that Kevin and I actively work on because I just think women's intuition is is really powerful. But when it comes to like I, I know that like you, I I very, very, very much developed my prefrontal cortex from, from a very young age, like logic, rationality, numbers, mathematics, differential equations, calculus, like all of that. It, it, I mean, I just was so mathematical and calculated. But what about the things that you cannot calculate and your willingness to explore those despite reverse engineering an outcome? So, and to me, that's how we explore and we learn. And I, I think that, again, understanding yourself and understanding which one you're, you're developed in and then, and then getting around the people who have the strengths in the other one. This is why I think intimate relationships are so wonderful because when it comes to physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, I think we all have masculine and feminine within us mm -hmm. and the yin and yang of life is really getting around the opposite energy so that you can develop and express the other parts of you. And it's this constant dance where like I've told my lady, like specifically, like I trust your intuition, like so much, especially knowing you have my best interest at heart and vice versa, that I'm going to be willing to do things and try things that I normally wouldn't because of her perspective. And mm -hmm. I just think that's huge. 
Oh yeah, that's huge because because you know that even though you do have both masculine and feminine, that trust of that deep intuition from your partner is such a gift that you're giving to both of you. And the things that we explore together, it's almost like we ha- we now have the incentive to embark on these little journeys that we normally wouldn't necessarily if it wasn't for the other. So again, Steve Jobs quote, like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool when you start to develop these other parts of you. Because back in college, I just hung out with engineers, right? So right. all we did was like debate, like mathematics and physics and politics and all and like it was all competition and debate because it was just a lot of really intellectual engineer dudes and there's nothing wrong with that but I I don't think I spent enough time around the alternative to really learn I always say this the the quality of your relationship will ultimately be determined by how much each party appreciates the differences mm, yeah and I think I've just come to appreciate the difference the different perspective because at the end of the day, I often say this, no matter how thin you slice it, there's always two sides. And we're all just trying to live in the truth. And I think the truth is usually the middle of two extremes. And the dance is kind of like the the life, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think of it like this, like, so let's say you were entirely logical and rational. You'd be like robotic. And I know Mm -hmm. people like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're just the very extreme. And then you've got the other side, which is all emotional, all intuition. And maybe that person is a little more go with a lot more go with the flow. All they ever do is go with the flow. One, One side is all structure, all order, all discipline. The other side is all go with the flow, all spiritual. And it's like, picture those two extremes if they get too extreme. One of them is very, very good at the science of achievement, but is probably completely unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is very, very good at connection, love, the art of fulfillment, but probably isn't very, very good at achieving their goals, especially if their goals are are more concrete and tangible. So to me, it's like on one end of the spectrum, you have strength, discipline, logic, rationality, numbers, mathematics, calculation, reverse engineering. And then on the other end, you have warmth, love, sincerity, honesty, openness, truth, and and experience driven stuff whereas on the other side it's all results driven and to me i think we overdevelop ourselves on one or the other and we think our way is the right way and it's such crap i'll never forget <laughs> right I'll, so i'll never forget i don't know if you know the woman her name's Bronnie ware no i don't so she is one of my absolute heroes so a while back it's probably five years ago now i got in a, a tough car accident that really shook the snow globe for me and for those of you who don't know, my, my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28, when I was two. And so mm-hmm. that really messed with me. And that's a whole nother story. But I remember after that, and I say this quote all the time, I was just talking about it actually at Mass Maritime last week, where you cannot see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which we couldn't in the light. And so mm-hmm. what I realized when I was in that dark sort of post-accident depression I saw something I'd never seen before, which is a book by Bronnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And if you've never read this book, I, I really highly recommend it. She also has a TED Talk. So if you're not a big reader, you can go listen to her TED Talk. One of the most important TED Talks in the world, in my opinion. 
So she literally worked in hospice for, I believe, like eight years. And she thought her job was to take care of the terminally ill when her real job was actually just to listen. And she just heard, I wish, I wish, I wish. She heard these common patterns of all these terminally ill people of how they wish they had lived their life versus how they actually did. Mm-hmm. And I often tell people, if you've ever had the death of a pet or the death of a loved one or, a, you know, a terminal illness or just a bad illness that you were scared for your life, or you've ever been in a car accident or, or jumped, I, both of those happened to me, you, you start to question the way you're living. And mm. to this day, even right now, I have a flashcard in my pocket that I have written out of the top five regrets of the dying. So she wrote this book. And it's so cool because four and a half years later, five years later, actually, I we got to interview her a few months ago. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I got to ask her. So so for your listeners, the, the number one regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Mm. That's the heart, right? Your, your, your ego wants approval. So instead of following your heart, you're following what you're supposed to do, quote unquote, based on society versus what you actually want to do, what you're actually pulled towards. And number two, and this is the crazy thing. Number two was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Now, back then, five years ago, that one bothered me because when I started to shift my life and actually decide to chase my dreams, and after that car accident, I had to question myself. The two questions for me were, did I courageously fight for what I believe in or did I just do what other people wanted me to do? And then number two was how fiercely and openly did I love? And I didn't like my answers, especially because I grew up my whole life hearing, you know, these stories about my dad. And the interesting thing that I came to from a very emotionalized place was it doesn't matter how he died. Everyone talks about how he lived. And mm. to me, that was like the golden ticket, the, the, the gift that I was given of like at 26 years old, I was literally working for a company called Cognex. Their their motto is work hard, play hard. I used to say work hard, play harder. And so I used to, I was in sales. I was selling industrial automation equipment. And I had from the outside perspective what everyone wants, right? Like, you know, I had more money than I knew what to do with. I remember going to the casino with three grand in my pocket on my 26th birthday. And people were like, Alan, like who carries three grand in their pocket? I literally said verbatim, like I could lose all this and it wouldn't even matter. Like I just had way more money than I needed. And again, that was a little bit of an ego consciousness, but it is what it is. I, I drank too much and too often. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I had, I had a nice car. I had this great job, this, this great career, but I wasn't taking care of my body very well. Mm-hmm. I was 160 pounds, skinny, fat, alcoholic. And mm-hmm. I don't like those labels, but it's, it's true. And I think that for me, when that car accident happened, and then six months prior to that, I also got jumped, but that's another story. I, I just got the snow globe shaken enough to where I went, you know what? Like I have to change because otherwise I'm going to have regrets at the end. And so for those of you out there right now, the second one is I wish I hadn't worked so hard, but this is so cool. I literally on my flashcard ever prior talking to Bronnie Ware. So I hit her up on Instagram several years ago, hit up her assistant several times. I remember her telling me on air, she said, Alan, I wanted to do this interview with you because you were persistent, but you were respectful. Mm. And I said to her, I said, Bronnie, I don't want to ever even cons- like, I don't want to impose on your work in any way because these are your, you, you came up with these, this is your work and you've changed so many lives. So I'm so grateful. But I remember reading, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And I remember disagreeing with it respectfully. And I said, mm-hmm. I think number, 
number two regret is because of number one. In other words, mm -hmm. you're not going to regret hard work if you lived life true to yourself and not what others expected of you. And literally, I lit up like a Christmas tree because she said, wow, that makes a lot of sense, Alan. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have that right, on air. Because if you are doing what you love, you're, you're, you're not going to care about the hours. Right. Right. And so, because I love hard work. Like if you saw me right now, when I say that, I, I love just, just grinding it out. But that's because now I'm doing work I love and work mm -hmm. that I know is congruent with my highest level of contribution. So that was a huge thing. And literally on my flashcard, it said, it pointed to number one and it said, do to number one, like on number two. And then, so the third one, just for your listeners, because this is such an incredible uh, part of sort of the story and, and for their life, if they want to live a more fulfilled, heart, heartfelt life, because Bronnie Ware has no ego. She is so gentle and sweet. It's unbelievable. And so mm. the third one is, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. The fourth one is, I wish I had let myself be happier. In other words, letting yourself be happy. We set these insane standards that are unmeetable. And a lot of times it's like, if this, 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 and this, then I get to be happy. Mm -hmm. But if not, then I'm un unhappy and stressed. And, and, and I think that's just such an entitlement thing that we could go into if you'd like. But then the fifth one, so you have, I wish I had lived a life true to myself, not what others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard which I think is because it's number one. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd let myself be happier. Oh, this is the big one. I wish I had had the courage to express my true feelings. Mm. I told my lady recently, like, I want us to always express the truth and I want to live in the truth. And I told her, like, I want you to be the most expressed version of yourself because what I've realized from podcasting is that when you have an incentive to help others by expressing your truth, you end up more fulfilled. Even and all those fears that you don't talk about and that are that are you're hiding behind closed doors that you don't want people to know about, when you see how much that helps other people to know that they're not alone and you serve with that, your cup just you, you those fears go away when you when you stop hiding them. Mm -hmm. And so to circle back, oh go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think um the fear of being vulnerable is such a motivator for people. Mm, it's, we're afraid to be judged. And we talked about that on the episode that you came on our show. It's like, I always say, hashtag fear, no judgment. I, we were all like kids at one point, we said something stupid and the, and the whole class laughed at us and we locked that in. And I remember you talking about like your inner child, like getting hurt and like forgiving that child and, and some of that inner work that just, I think is so wonderful, which is, again, is why I'm here. Like I, I want to help perpetuate the work you do. So one of the things that I got to realize with Bronnie, this was big for me. And so anyone out there who who realized the the, you know, those two extremes of strength and warmth, like I realized, oh my God, like Bronnie has changed the world with her gentleness. Mm -hmm. Now, between you and I, I know I'm not going to change the world with my gentleness. <laughs> right. 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 That, that's not the energy you're supposed to be bringing. Right. So exactly. Like, but I, I, for me, that was like, oh my God, like there is no right way. Mm -hmm. There's, there's only a right way for you because for me, it's tenacity. It's, it's, it is, you know, the, a very strong masculine, you know, structure order. Like if you, if you saw my day and how structured it is, you'd, you'd probably think I was insane. Most people do. But like, that's my mm -hmm. truth. That's how I'm yeah. going to 
bring my uniqueness to the world. And, and when you realize that both ends of the spectrum are equally valuable, there's no right answer, but there is a right answer for you. You're that much quicker to find it and then really start to own it. And then that true north you have, that that uniqueness, that that natural inclination that you personally have, when you start to grow that thing, the 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 opportunities that are going to come your way, and by the way, the the people you'll filter out as well. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. that's the downside, but it's going to act as a filter and a magnet. It's going to magnetize to you the persons, places, things, and ideas that should be in your life, and it's going to filter out everything that shouldn't, in my opinion. And in your experience. Oh, for sure. And now that I'm aware yeah. of it, I notice it everywhere. So talk to me a little bit about your you're stepping away from so you have this traumatic accident Mm. you read this incredible book that's transformational for you how do you start dipping your toes into the spiritual waters right oh that's such a good question so there was a couple things that happened when i had that i was actually on an episode yesterday podcast called quantum shift so i'll call it a quantum shift so after that life or death experience, I started to shift in terms of not just chasing quote unquote success by society standard, but actually chasing fulfillment and living in, in integrity and a life of service. So what, how did I actually, there's a couple things. So one was Bronnie Ware's book. I came across that. That was one of my lights that I saw in a dark place. Mm-hmm. One was Tony Robbins' TED Talk. It's called Why We Do What We Do. Now, for me, that is my second favorite speech ever of all time, second only to Steve Jobs' Stanford commencement, which if you have not listened to Tony Robbins' TED Talk, Why We Do What We Do, I mean, the six human needs and his, he's known as like pump up motivator, but he's like, no, I'm the why guy. I want to know why you do what you do. What is your motive for action? Mm -hmm. And like really unpacking the, the way you're wired so that now you can shift it and wire it in a way that's, that's your truth. Now that's number two. Number three was I met a man by the name of Nate Smithson, who's now my fitness coach and dear friend to this day. Just such an incredible growth oriented man. I mean, if you look up personal development in the dictionary, I often say this, I joke, like you'd see his picture. The dude is just in every way, the most developed. It's unreal. But I actually just audio messaged him yesterday saying I miss him. But anyway, so that was, those were three big mentors in my life. Bronnie Ware's book, Tony Robbins, I started listening to quite a bit and he started getting me to realize that like rewire myself and then Nate Smithson. Now circle forward a little bit and I started to to get more into the spiritual, the the exploring the S of PMES, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, the spiritual side, Wayne Dyer. So mm. Wayne Dyer is one of my favorite authors. And I think that the way he writes and articulates the spiritual, you can kind of see his journey. I think he's written like 38 books or something like that, maybe even more than that. But I started diving into his speeches and his work like deep and he shifted so much just like we have Mm -hmm. to merge the arts and sciences Mm -hmm. and the physical world to the spiritual world, like to merge them. And so he wrote a book. This was his very last book. Believe it or not, I saw him and Bronnie in a picture together, which was so interesting. So I got to ask, I got to ask her about him on the show because it's just such a, a small world in some ways. So mm-hmm. Wayne wrote a book called I Can See Clearly Now, where he literally mm-hmm. reflects on his entire life. And he's in his 70s at this point. He's since passed away. But he reflects on it from the spiritual perspective where he's literally connecting those dots of why everything 
was the way that it is and how he couldn't tell at the time, but how now with his higher level of awareness, he understands that he was trusting that natural inclination, that intuition, that, that the dots would connect. Mm -hmm. And so it gives, it gave me a very interesting perspective because if you're going to reverse engineer something, which is my natural inclination anyway, that's why reverse engineering regret is so important. I ask myself this stuff all the time. Like, what am I doing right now that I might regret? What am I not doing right now that I might regret? Like when you ask those questions, you start to realize real quick, are you living congruent with your highest level of contribution? Are you escaping in devices or developing virtues? So like for me, I can tell you right now, I'm going to regret not writing my book unless I now, now that I know that, what, what must I do, right? I now need to put that into my system of success and actually start executing on it. So to answer your question, explore, I explored each facet of the human condition in an effort to serve others. And I started to really understand and appreciate the other side because on a lot of times we are overdeveloped. And again, like so many of my engineering mentors who are multimillionaires, they're very science and they have this sort of aversion to spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I notice it. But what they don't realize is that they're, they're the same type of thing. They're just a different perspective of the same truth. And so and then I see these other people that are so into spirituality, but they're, they maybe aren't as, quite as good at wealth creation. And, and the science of achievement. So it's like, to me, I want to take people who are more M, in other words, more rational and logical, and I want to get them to not get them. I want to persuade them, to influence them, to connect to their heartstring and serve more rather than just want more money, right? And then mm-hmm. I find these other people that literally live this incredible life of service. I'm thinking of someone right now. His name is Michael Gorman, runs a, a, a um, charity called the the Movement Family. We spoke there recently. And he is just the biggest freaking heart. Like the dude is just literally pulling people off the streets, helping them get educated and inspired, like the most incredible thing. And, and, and then when I hit sit down with him, right, the part of me is sitting there like, oh, wow, like he has the biggest freaking heart. But to be completely frank, I know that he could develop his strategy a little more. Like imagine if he knew business like my millionaire mentor, like imagine what he could do for the world. So Right. To me, I'm, I'm trying to take people that are really good at the science of achievement and help them connect it to service and then take people who are really good at serving others and then get them to strategize a little more and scale their businesses. So that's kind of in a nutshell my, my mission. But I just I've always been kind of bridging the gap between even way back in corporate America, again, looking back to connect the dots, like I worked in global product management. So for those of you who don't know, global product managers are responsible for the for the uh, revenue. So I worked for um, what used to be Texas Instruments. It's called Sensata Technologies now. And I literally was responsible at like 22 years old for $20 million a year for this product oh, yeah. portfolio. And basically what my boss said is, Alan, we're counting on you in front of everybody to grow this this dying revenue stream. And here's the interesting part. So I, calculators, right? We're talking calculators. Right. All right, just check it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, I'm sorry. So it was um, circuit breakers. So cat, okay, cat, the big um, bulldozers and stuff. They were the, the circuit mm-hmm. breakers in all of those machines. They were like eighty percent of my business. So oh, wow. I had to keep cat happy. Anything cat needed, like I was there, you know. But here's the interesting thing: all right. I had to work with quality assurance engineers. I had to work with marketers. I had to work with. I basically had to work with all the different parts of the business, but I had no authority, but yet I was responsible for the revenue. So I had to like, 
Oh, it was such a cool. In hindsight, I'm so glad I had that job. Trust me, it was stressful yeah. because you're basically you can't tell anyone what to do, but you're responsible for the result, which is like requires mm. a level of leadership that I I wish I studied leadership back then because if I had, I wouldn't have wanted to rip my hair out. But <laughs> but now what I realize is I worked at iRobot at Global Product Management as well. Same deal. You're you're always talking engineering and marketing. And they are two different languages because marketing oh, is yeah. trying to connect emotions to humans and engineering doesn't have as much emotional intelligence, but yet they oh. know how the product actually works, right? And I speak both mm. languages because I spent so much time with engineers, but I also was raised by two women without a father. So I, I feel like I've always had this, this gift of being able to merge two worlds mm -hmm. that we're trying to say the same thing, but they were speaking different languages. Oh yeah. And now I that's feel, I feel like I'm doing that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a gift because I I have worked in an engineering firm, and I know how challenging it is to connect with them. Right. And 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 they're so earnest, and they want to do the best they can, and they're just I I love them because they're it's like this this kind of level of innocence because they they have this linear view of the world right <laughs> and and it's really it's endearing and it's and, and the type of engineers i worked with uh were hydro engineers so they they were responsible for people's lives if a dam fails you flood the re you know you flood the region and people die right. so there's this this earnestness and this I'm going to do the best I can energy about them. And I'm so grateful for what they do, but trying to connect with them on a human level is practically impossible. Right. right. Well, that's, that's the, we are almost, almost all of us, including myself, I believe are underdeveloped in a certain area and overdeveloped in another. And, and mm -hmm. the, here's the problem with that. This is what I've found to be true based on my current level of awareness. We like attracts like. So back when I was focused on engineering, naturally I was attracting all engineers and anyone who didn't think like we think weren't, wasn't in our friend group. So we're just, we're literally, it's like, okay, we're already all logic and rationality and debate and competition. Now let's just surround ourselves with this echo chamber of that and let's lose sight of collaboration, warmth, open honesty, like communication. Like, it's like, if you're out there right now and you are more emotionally driven and a little less logical and rational, I would argue to go get around engineers. Go get around logical, rational, mathematical thinkers. If you're an engineer and all your friends are engineers, by the way, go get around someone who is much more art-driven, who is much more likes salsa dancing and likes, likes to paint. And you know what I mean? Like we all attract what we are, but what we need, in my opinion, for the most part, is someone who balances us to make us more whole. And a lot of times, this is why an intimate relationship happens. The polarity brings you together, and then you hopefully grow as long as you know you can grow and change. That's a whole other thing of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And then you have to grow together and not apart, so that's a whole other episode. But like, if you are on my end of like structure, discipline, self-sacrifice, sweat equity, like logic, reverse engineer, calculations, mathematics, that's fine. That's great. That's going to serve the world. But get around the feminine energy. Get around someone who's far more artsy. Get around someone who trusts their intuition more than you do and learn to appreciate it and learn from it. 
if you're on the other side, in my opinion, you need someone who has more order and structure and, and discipline. And to me, that's, that's just my perspective, but that's what I've found typically is we attract what we are, but what we need tends to be more of the opposite. So I'm going to dig deeper with you right now, because ultimately, as you've said before, we both have that within. So does the spending time with one who has a strength that you don't have help you go within to develop it within yourself? As long as you believe in yourself. This is, we were talking about this earlier because we did a few podcast episodes for, for our podcast earlier. And what, what Kevin realized blew my mind because we did an episode on comparison and comparison is happening subconsciously when you're in the room. So your subconscious is always trying to, to size up the room. So let's say you care about fitness and you go into the gym with a bunch of my friends. You're probably going to feel on some subconscious level inferior. At least that's what your crocodile brain will, will tell you. That's the primitive part. Now, what I believe hyperconsciousness is and, and just awareness is, and that's what hyperconscious means, by the way, is acutely aware, is you realizing you're having that trigger and then realizing I'm not worse than them. I'm just, I'm just different and shorter. They're, they're farther in the journey. Now, what do I do? Now I learn from them and in an effort to get better instead of shelling up and running away. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will be listening to a conversation like us, like we're having right now, and they would leave the room without knowing why they're leaving. I believe the reason that they're leaving is because of a lack of self-belief on some level. So for example, if I'm in a room with someone who, let's say I value fitness and I'm in a room with someone way stronger than me, but I don't believe in myself. I'm not going to know why, but I'm going to feel really bad about myself. And I'm going to not want to be in that room because it's uncomfortable. So instead of being inspired, I shell up. Whereas because I'm so fortunate to have a strong level of self-belief, I don't get upset. I get happy for them. And then I learn from them in order to, to achieve it. And there have been times in my life where I've let, literally left the room because the feedback was too much. So mm -hmm. there's this man, his name's Matt. And back when I was very young, I think I was like 19 at the time and I was at a party and this is rare for me, but I know a lot of people can relate to this because a lot of people struggle with self-belief and confidence. So I was not healthy at the time. I was very, very ill. I had sinus infections repeatedly. And now looking back, I know why my, my ment mental state and emotional state wasn't, wasn't well, despite the engineer part of me. I had all these notebooks written out of everything that was different and the water intake. And, and I was just trying to, trying to find commonalities so that I could find the root source of the problem so I could change it. But long story short, I went to this party and there was this really fit guy who was just like an absolute stud, life of the party, charismatic, looked so happy and fulfilled. And I remember being so upset that I wasn't that way, that I had to literally like leave. And I remember weeping. And I feel like if you find yourself uncomfortable around exceptional humans, I would check in with your level of self-belief because I often say this. And this is something that you've said before, self-actualization. I think you used that on the episode you were with us. If you are a self-actualizing human being, what that means is basically your, you believe in your own ability to manifest something from your imagination into reality. Like I often say mm -hmm. that the car was imagined when there was still horses. 
The mm-hmm. airplane was imagined when there was just cars. And the rocket ship was imagined when there was just airplanes. Imagine what we're imagining now. So to me, like, if you were to ask me, Alan, could you win a triathlon? I would say, yes, of course. The only question is whether or not I want to. And by the way, I can't win right now, but give me a decade, right? Right. So I don't question whether or not I can do something. I think impossible is an opinion, not a fact. And I really mean that. But there are limits to this. Like, if you want to play basketball against LeBron James, like, that's, you know, don't dedicate your life to something you might not never win at. So there's a, there's a delusional side of this too. But my point is this. If you, if, why would Warren Buffett invest in a stock that he didn't believe would grow? I believe that if you get around people who have a different perspective than you and or they have strengths that are your weaknesses, that's good for you. But that's predicated on your own belief in your own ability to develop them. Mm-hmm. If you subconsciously don't believe you can be like that, like you have that, oh, must be nice mentality, then you're going to always avoid the, those rooms. You're going to avoid the mirrors that, that showcase your weaknesses. Like Kevin has been my mirror for the longest time. Like he's so much better than me at certain things. and because I know that I can develop those weaknesses, it has allowed me to grow into the man that now has attracted, you know, and a woman that I know for a fact I could never have attracted prior. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, certainly couldn't sustain or grow it. But that's all thanks to the fact that I got around someone who was better than me in this arena. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it all comes down to self-belief. If you get uncomfortable around people who are more competent than you, at a certain thing you value, check in with your self-belief, try to get in that discomfort long enough to realize you can do it too. And by the way, this other person probably has a lot of belief in you and they're going to tell you that they can do it. And not only are they going to tell you you can do it, they're going to teach you how. Mm-hmm. And that brings us back to vulnerability. Right. Because you have to be honest with yourself and actually sit with yourself without distractions. Oh, right? yeah. Yep. Because that's a big thing. If you sit with yourself and you actually tune into what the programming is in your subconscious, then you can heal it. My preferred method is inner child work and, and actually sitting with it and feeling the emotions behind it and then releasing it. And then, and then you can let it go and you can be accepting of who you are right? a lot more because you know, I know, gosh, I, I, you know, we all have some degree of imposter syndrome. And I think to myself, well, what, what am I being an imposter of? Right. Well, I'm being authentic to myself. So what, you know, and having questions like that, I don't remember what triggered that recently, but I had a conversation with someone. She said, wait, you have an imposter syndrome. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I do. What? What? And we dug through it and we had this great conversation and it was my little girl wanting to be heard. Right. And that was it. And it was like, we got through that and I don't have that anymore. I'm just me. <laughs> but you have to like, you have to, you have to pay attention to yourself and you have to listen to yourself. You have to feel where the, the tension is in your body and, and sit with it and love yourself. And then you can release that that part of you that isn't you. It's just this fear that you have. Right. It's this fight, flight, or freeze response. You can tell. I was with my my lady the other night, and when you're having an organic conversation with someone that's just free-flowing, and you're 100% connected, right? And you're fully immersed in the moment. There's no phones, no distractions. You're just with that other person. And then all of a sudden, something that 
seems totally okay on the surface triggers something in the other person and you have no idea why and neither do they and you can sense an energy shift you can literally see it and then as long as you and your partner or you and this person have an awareness and a trust that you have their best interest and you're not trying to hurt you only want to understand then you can allow them to express what's going on but the reason i'm saying this is you can notice a physiological shift in someone's energy when you hit a trigger point. And the trigger mm -hmm. point is usually some sort of past or present trauma where someone knows on some level that they're not progressing in an arena the way they want. So, for example, this conversation we were having, I brought up one of my aspirations to do martial arts, uh, Muay Thai. And she is incredible at Muay Thai. So awesome. But I can tell when we had the conversation that she hasn't felt like she's been progressing in that arena as much as she wants to. And so mm -hmm. I, instead of, so this is really hard for me. So I immediately, my, my reversion to my old training is assume it's my fault. Like, oh, I triggered you. This is my fault. I'm the worst. That, that's my old training. Instead of doing that, I just let her express. And we ended up connecting these dots that we never would have had I gotten triggered by her trigger. So mm -hmm. instead of thinking about me, oh, poor me, I'm, I must be the problem, and then shelling up or, or having a temper, I just sat there and, and sought to understand. And then we got more mm -hmm. connected instead of more disconnected. So if you're out there right now, I think your relationships, both intimately, friends, colleagues, all of that can only be as strong as your relationship to yourself. So if you feel disconnected from the truth within yourself, I told Kevin recently, I want to live in the truth. I don't want to delude myself anymore. Like I want to know the truth. Like, am I progressing in this arena or not? And am I okay with this or not? Like, I think we tell ourselves this story of everything's going to be okay financially instead of actually looking at our bank account and then making the moves necessary to fix it. Like, Mm -hmm. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, okay, this is what is, accepting it and loving it for what it is, and then making a change, instead we have all these you know, filters that we put on our pictures to make sure that no one knows that we're imperfect. And I just think it's such a short-term win for a long-term loss. And so that's my mm -hmm. new intention. And I, I told her this too, like I want to live in the truth. Now, that's difficult, especially if you've been avoiding feedback for a really long time. Like a good analogy is like, let's say, you know, you've been spending too much money and you keep getting these credit card bills in the mail, but you don't want to open the envelope. Like that is avoiding feedback. So instead of opening mm -hmm. the envelope and acknowledging, wow, I've been spending too much money and then changing your behavior. Instead, you just pretend everything's going to be fine until eventually it hits this, this point, this tipping point where the pain is great enough. You have to make a change. And that's mm -hmm. desperation instead of inspiration. So I do think it's really, really important for us to understand the stories we're telling ourselves. Like if you're out there right now and you're telling yourself a story that you're not good enough, it's not true. But some people tell themselves they're awesome by default. Those are the more narcissistical. We all are just trying to protect ourselves from pain. One side, I often use this, we call it drive to five. Picture zero to 10, confidence. Okay. If you're a 10, that's where I spent some time. I was arrogant. In other words, I thought I would win just by showing up. The zeros, this is the way I explain it. Tens don't think they need a mentor. Zeros don't think they deserve one or they're too scared to get one. And that's mm -hmm. why I think it's the dance between these two extremes. Kevin was a zero and I was a 10. 
So when we met, we started to appreciate the differences. We started to drive to five. And now we live in the truth. I think five is the truth. You're not the worst, but you're also not the best by default. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and some people who were praised for everything at, from a very young age tend to be on my end. And people that were criticized a lot growing up tend to be on the other end. I think understanding which end you tend to be on and then mitigating it. So for me, I think action is the cure-all. Whenever I take action, I usually get humbled. Whenever Kevin takes action, he usually builds confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think that massive action is the cure-all. In other words, when you, it gets rid of the story and it brings you to reality. Mm -hmm. Oh, Alan, I think we could keep talking for a couple more hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously, though. <laughs> oh, well, because I know you are just about done with your time obligations with me, I would like to ask you how everyone can find you. Ah, thank you. So if you are intrigued or interested in anything that I've said or learning more, obviously you can go listen to the podcast, but you're already listening to this podcast, so I want you to stay there if that's the case. But if you have any questions about fitness, lifestyle design, personal development, my story, the drive to five, if you're struggling with courage and confidence, you can reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Snapchat. I'm very active on all of those. The best place to reach me would be Instagram. So it's alazarus88, A-L-A-Z-A-R-O-S-8-8. That's my handle. But if you look up Alan Lazarus on Facebook, I should come right up too. And honestly, just reach out. And I, I try to be really responsive. And I really do want to help you. If you're interested in developing yourself more, that is, I always say this, and this is in my Instagram bio, I, I help you achieve the life and body of your dreams. And that's, that's what I love to do. And if you are interested, please reach out. Thank you so much, Alan. I so appreciate you being on the show. I enjoyed this thoroughly. As a matter of fact, I felt compelled to introduce you to someone. The person, Shauna Pelton, I was on her show yesterday, The Quantum Shift. You and her would be two mm -hmm. peas in a pod. So I'm going to make sure that I introduce you guys on Instagram after this. Well, thank you so much. You are so very welcome. The action item of the week is to tune in for where on the scale you are. Are you more science or art-based? Then cultivate new ways to bridge to the other side so that you can have a balanced masculine and feminine inner self. That's it for the week. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.